Thank you so much, worship band, for leading us to lift up our hearts and our voices in, in praise and prayer this morning to the one true God. Last week, we began a study on the, the Lord's Prayer, commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But as I've shared with you before, it'd be more accurately to call this the model prayer or even the teaching prayer because in it, Jesus teaches us. He, he actually gives us an outline. Uh, this is not something word for us just to regurgitate from memory and say, amen, I said it, that's what Jesus said. No, it is a, it's a, a model teaching prayer for us to then spend time with God on each one of these points in, in his outline. If, if you want to see Jesus praying himself to God, look at John chapter 17. That's a, a, a verse, a, a passage, and a study for another day. But that's a great example of, of him pouring out his heart to God. So the men closest to Jesus knew him the best. Living life with him says, Jesus, teach us to pray. Because they had, they had seen what prayer had done in Jesus' life. And they were impressed with that. And they wanted that same kind of power. They wanted to, to tap into that. They wanted that kind of relationship with God. And so he gave them this prayer. Last week, we talked about the first phrase, our Father in heaven, and camped out basically on all three uh, of those first important words, our, your God and my God. It's, it's our God. Father, He is a Father to us. We are His children. And then heaven, th this is the sovereign God of the universe who allows us to call Him Dad and approach Him in prayer. Today, I want us to look at the second half of that first verse, and that is, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, many English translations of the Bible use the word honor. May your name be honored as holy. That's a big question most people have is, what in the world does hallow mean? It is a recognition that God is different from His creation, His creatures. He is holy. He's in a, a separate category from all others. There is no category that stands next to Him that He can, can even be compared. He was always, He is always, and He will be always. You know, creatures, you and I, and everything created has both a beginning and an end. But God is the beginning and the end. And Jesus wants us to remember who it is that we are addressing in this prayer. We are praying to the holy, righteous, creator God of the universe. John Piper points out that this is not a declaration. He's not instructing. He's not teaching us to say, dear God, your name is holy. He's suggesting that we say, Teaching us, encouraging us to say, Dear God, make your name holy. It is a request from us to God for Him to make His name holy. And that may sound a, a little odd that Jesus would instruct us to ask God to do what God already wants to do and, and to ask God to do what He has basically already done. God's name is holy, whether you, I, you and I make it holy in our own lives, hallow it in our own lives. It's already holy. God wants us uh, to make His name holy, even as we ask, he, we ask Him to make it holy. So why in the world is Jesus instructing us to do something 
that he already wants done. Well, look at it from the light of another prayer in just a few more chapters. If you're studying through the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus instructs us to pray that we ask God to send laborers into the harvest. Now, think about how presumptuous that would be for a rookie farmhand. I mean, a kid that knows nothing about farming, he's just got a good back and strong hands, and he can go out there and, and work in the, the farmer's fields. And think how presumptuous, presumptuous it would be for that rookie farmhand to go to the farmer who has years of experience in, in planting and, and, and reaping, harvesting. He knows the weather, and he knows when the plants are, are right to, to work and, and not, and, and say, hey, we need more harvesters in our field but yet that's what god asked us to do ask god jesus asked us to do ask god to send more harvesters into the field so this part of the prayer teaches me this prayer is not asking god to do something he's not already inclined to do our, our father in heaven make your name holy make your name hallowed so out of that comes another question. Why should we hallow the name of God? One of the most beautiful texts in the Old Testament, and I, I know there's a lot of throwing it under the bus these days, but I hope you still love the Old Testament and what God's Word teaches there. In Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 9, I've printed the, la the first six verses on, on the back of your outline. But I, I want you to listen to this passage as we read it, and you see it up on the screen. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah writing, I saw the Lord seated on a high and a lofty throne, and His robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above Him. Each one had six wings, with two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me. And in his hand was a glowing coal he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it. And he said, now this has touched your lips. Your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who should I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. This passage is an amazing scene into the name of God being hallowed. And what we have here is a picture of both an earthly being, Isaiah, and a heavenly being, the seraphim, making God's name hallowed. And I want you to look at it with me through this. Isaiah points out, First of all, the hopelessness of man. King Uzziah, he became king when he was 16 years old. He reigned for over 50 years. He was a good king under the tutelage, under the, the, the mentorship of Zechariah the prophet. He honored God 
with all he did in the early part of his life. And, and God made him prosperous. God gave him the, the skills to be a great warrior. In fact, he built, and this is the first time I, I think the Bible talks about, he built machines on the, the walls of, of the, the walls around the city to protect against the enemies that would come and try to tear the walls down. And, and he was successful. He, he built cities. He dug cisterns there to provide, and he built towers there to protect the people. And everyone loved him. They saw security in him. They were very hopeful while Uzziah was leading, while Uzziah was alive. And then Uzziah messed up in his pride. He went into the temple one day, and he decided he was going to burn incense to God. Well, it was prescribed by God that it wasn't by the priest. It was prescribed by God that the priests were those who were to come to the temple and burn the incense. And so when Azariah comes in and he sees Uzziah burning the incense, he says, no, wait, Uzziah, that's not your job. That's not for you to do. And, and when Uzziah didn't pay attention to that, he brought other priests in, and they all confronted Uzziah. And in Uzziah's pride, he got mad. And immediately God struck him with leprosy, and he was exiled, had to, to, to leave the palace. And he was exiled and lived with leprosy the rest of his life. So Uzziah died. Israel mourned. First a good king, successful king, then a king who brought prosperity to the nation, now a king who openly honored God, and now he was a king who dishonored God and lay dead in his exile Isaiah was sad. Israel was sad. The nation was in a state of grief and hopelessness, but God was alive. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. God was alive. That's one reason to hallow his name. A second reason is this God is authoritative. When Isaiah saw him alive, he not only saw that, but he was seated on a throne. The earthly King Uzziah First a great leader, then a fallen leader, then a dead leader. But the sovereign God of the universe was not only alive, he was sitting on the throne. He was Israel's authority. That's another reason to hallow God's name. Not only authoritative, he was omnipotent. We talked about that last week. Uh, he saw God alive, seated on a throne, and that throne was what? High and lifted up. He was not one God among many gods. He was not one God among a few gods. He was the one and only God, creator of the universe, sitting alone at the top. That's another reason we hallow the name of God because of his omnipotence. And it is recognized when we hallow his name. His authority is acknowledged when we hallow his name. His being alive is witnessed when we hallow his name. But then he says, God is resplendent. Isaiah described how he was adorned. It said his robe filled the temple. Perhaps you've been to a wedding and the, the, the bride is up here on, on the stage part and there's steps there in front and the train on her dress not only flows down to the floor but then flows off 
even onto the steps, right? Perhaps you've seen a, a royal wedding where the princess-to-be's gown goes all the way halfway down the aisle. It, it doesn't take one, but several attendants to manage that. And it's resplendent with beauty and glory. But here we have the most magnificent building in the empire, the temple. And Isaiah says that God's robe filled the temple, that, that smoke poured out of the temple. The temple, the most amazing building ever, and yet God could cover it just with his robe. We are to hallow God's name because he is resplendent. And when we hallow his name, the world sees his beauty. God is also revered. Isaiah turns his attention to the attendants. We read in, in Isaiah 6, this heavenly creature that we've not yet been introduced to in God's word. Uh, the seraphim, they're standing with God. They're not mighty warriors here on earth standing with God. They're not great kings from earth standing with God. This is a heavenly being called a seraphim. They're incredible, multi-winged creatures. Creatures because they were created by God. We were created by God. Angels, heavenly beings are created by God. So when the Bible says that uh, uh, these the seraphims were standing with God, it mentions that they had six wings. And with two wings, they, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they covered their face. And with two wings, they flew. Now, you and I don't have wings to fly, much less wings to cover our feet and wings to cover our face. But these heavenly beings, in the presence of God, honored Him by flying with all their strength uh, above Him uh, to point to Him, but yet they also realized they were not worthy. They were so unholy compared to God that they recognized their nakedness and their unholiness before God, and they covered their feet with two wings. And then they realized they're not even creatures created you know, holy enough to look on God, so they covered their own face with their wings. When, when you watch, you read the description that Isaiah gives of these seraphim praising God, holy, holy, holy is your name. It's incredible. When God is hallowed, he is revered above all. And when these creatures sing out, holy, 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 the Bible says that, you know, that, that God is holy, that he is separate from everything else in the world. The Bible calls earthly things holy when they are consecrated and set apart to be, to, to be used by God and for God alone. So when the Bible says God is holy, it means that God is in this category all his own, and there is his creation, the people and the animals, and the stars, and the planets, and the moon, and the stuff, and the elements that make up the stuff, and the components of each one, all, all of that can be put into one category called created. But then there is God who created it all. And, and when the seraphim cry out, holy, 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 uh, the, the building just shakes, and smoke fills the temple. God is holy when he is hallowed. 
He is credited with everything that was and everything that is and everything that will be. And he and he alone is holy. And then you see that God is glorious. Isaiah puts the finishing touch on hallowing God's name when he exclaims, when the seraphim says, the whole earth is full of his glory. God has put his holiness on display for the whole earth all of his creation to witness and to see. And when God is hallowed, everyone sees his glory. And so that brings me to the next question this morning. Who should and who will hallow the name of God? Well, first of all, you and me as believers, for those of you in this room that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that God is the Creator God, Sovereign God of the universe, and that Christ died for us, if we believe that, have put our faith and trust and, and made Him Lord, Savior of our life, we are to hallow the name of God. When Jesus instructed us to ask God to hallow His name, part of His intent was that believers recognize it and make it known to the world that God is alive, that God is authoritative, that God is omnipotent, that God is resplendent, that God is revered, that God is holy, and that God is glorious. And so like the seraphim, we should, with all of our being, honor God as holy and show God as holy to the world. We don't have six wings. We can't fly on our own strength. We can't shout so loud that this entire sanctuary shakes and it is filled with smoke. We aren't heavenly creatures, but with every, every fiber of our being. The Bible says, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. With every breath, with every muscle, with every heartbeat, with every word out of our mouth, with every thought in our minds, with our will, with our actions, with every second of our life, we are to hallow God's name. And you may think, well, what does that look like? Let me tell you, I'm not suggesting that you and I come and camp out in this sanctuary 24-7, 365, so we can hallow God's name. Certainly, on the first day of the week, God intends for us to be here to do just that. But we have to leave this place. So what does it look like to hallow God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Well, we do hallow it when we come to worship. We do hallow God's name when we spend time in personal worship, in our own prayer closet, by ourselves, just alone with God, recognizing who He is and how great He is. When we use our voices to sing and hymns and praise and, and, and prayers, we're hallowing His name. When we tell others what God has done in our life, this next week, when you go to the office, if God has done something great in your life, and you tell others about it, you are hallowing His name. When we treat other people with respect, we're hallowing His name. When, when we are good stewards of the things that God has given us, we are hallowing His name. When we honor God with our relationships, with those special people God has put in our life, both family and close friends, we are hallowing his name. We're hallowing His name when we treat those that we don't even know very well with respect. You know, there is also a missionary component both to Isaiah chapter 6 that we just read and to the prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In Isaiah 6, after God's name is hallowed by the seraphim publicly 
and by Isaiah personally, Isaiah is moved to accept God's mission for his life, to honor God by making his name hallowed to the nations because God then asks the question, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. You know, David understood this when he wrote Psalm 96, verse 10. Say, among the nations, the Lord reigns. When we go to the nations and say, God is holy, we are accepting this call, this mission. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, God, uh, Isaiah quotes God saying, Every knee will bow to me, and every tongue confess allegiance. Now, what this means is so important. Have you ever been in an environment when you felt like you were the only God-honoring, God-fearing person in the room? Perhaps it was at a lunch meeting among colleagues in the business world. Maybe it was friends at somebody's house in a cookout Saturday afternoon after you just watched a football game or while you're watching it. Maybe it's a, in a public arena watching a sporting event or just being out in a shopping mall or out at the park and, and you, you feel like because you hear the language and, and you see the activity of others and, and you think, am I the only one here that honors God and, and fears God? And you see people mocking God, taking His name in vain, mocking those who believe in God. Well, here's the deal. The day is coming. Everyone including those who mocked him on earth, will realize that he is the holy God of the universe, and they too will bow and worship him. That's what God's Word says. The, the question is, will they bow and worship him in awe and condemnation, or will they bow and worship him in awe and in joy because of their salvation? So let me ask this question. Jesus seems to be making a big deal about this. Hallowed be thy name. Isaiah gives us a, a beautiful example of his name being hallowed. Does it matter to me? Will it change my life? Will it affect me in any way? And here's the good news this morning. When we hallow God's name, not only are we doing what is right and good and pleasing to God, we are indeed helping ourselves. Have you ever said something about someone and then realized that person was right there in the room and it wasn't nice? H have you ever told a vulgar joke and then realized your spiritual mentor was in earshot? Have you ever cursed and then realized that your preschool child is learning their vocabulary from you? Men, have you ever searched the internet for images that objectify women and create lust in your heart? Ladies, have you ever spent time trying to be perfect? Trying to one-up another woman in your circle of friends? Or purchasing stuff to make your life complete? Well, when you hallow God's name, it's hard to gossip in the same breath. When you hallow God's name, it's hard to be vulgar 
in the same moment. When you hallow God's name, it's hard to objectify women with God right there by your side. When you hallow God's name, it's hard to waste time trying to be perfect when the one and only who is perfect, God of the universe, is holding you with His loving arms and saying, You are in my righteousness perfect. But there's more. When you hallow God's name, you're doing the same thing David did in the Psalms. Have you ever thought the Psalms were just repetitive, maybe? I mean, there's a bunch of them, aren't there? And you just think, okay, didn't I just read this? Well, it is repetitive. Much of the Psalms is David singing praises to God, hallowing his name verbally, in poetry, and in music. David's singing praises to God. And Psalm 18 is just one example. And let me, let me encourage you. Psalm 18, write that down in your notes. It's, it's not on your Go home. Read Psalm 18 today. Do it before the Super Bowl, all right? In Psalm 18, David hallows God's name. In the first two verses, he calls him strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, mountain, shield, horn, and stronghold. And then we find out that David is being confronted by his enemies. He feels like the ropes of hell are wrapping around his body. The real possibility of death confronts him. He is distressed, and he's about to give up. But no way, absolutely not. Because when David feels like death and hell are about to overcome him, he remembers what? That God is his strength, his rock, his deliverer, his mountain, his horn, his shield, his stronghold. And so he knows who to call. And he calls on the name of God, the holy, hallowed name of God. And the earth shakes And the heaven splits. Read Psalm 18. And God comes down and rescues him from his enemy. But but that's not the end of the good news. Then God's word says he repays David for all that he lost. He rewards David for his faithfulness. Oh, yeah. God, God allowed David to see his honor and his glory. God made his name hallowed before his servant David. And when David looked on that hallowed name, he saw where his strength was. Read Psalm 18. God instructs us to pray that his name be hallowed so we can remember to turn to, remember who to turn to in our time of need. To hallow God's name is to tap into the power to live the new life that Jesus died that we might have. Listen, Jesus did not die so that you and I could be better people. Jesus died because we were dead and he wanted to give us new life. He wanted us to be reborn. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, make your name holy in my life so I'm drawn to turn to you. God, make your name holy in the world so that the nations are drawn to you.